Hey, if you've got a copy of God's Word today, go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. Ruth chapter 2. Uh, and I want to introduce you to a friend as you're turning there. This is Kenneth Gray. Um, Kenneth Gray and I just so happened to meet uh, several months ago in February. I had a friend that lives in Kansas City who used to live in Jackson. I said, hey, listen, I got uh, this Acts 29 meeting, which is part of a network of churches that we're a part of, that I was going to, and they'd ask, if you know any young pastors who might be interested in planting or church planting in the future, invite them to come to this luncheon with you. And so I texted my friend, and he just so happened to be best friends with this guy who had been doing faithful ministry for the last nine years here in a local church. Um, and so he, he had, was interested in church planting. Kenneth became fast friends, okay? Kenneth and I became fast friends. And this, uh, over the last uh, several months, since February, he's been coming to Preaching Cohort, which is something that happens on Mondays here. Um, anybody that, that is interested in teaching God's Word can come to this. We discuss the passages coming up, and so he's been coming and participating with that uh, over the last several months. And every, every week, I'm just blessed by both his presence and his insights. And I want to commend to you this young man. Now, it just so happened that as he was finishing up nine years of ministry there, he's looking for some type of pastoral residency. And the church that I came from back in 2020 was looking for some young man. And so he's going to the place that I came from next month, okay? So he's leaving in August and going there, um, which just happens to be tomorrow, and so he's leaving to go to the place that I came from. And so today, as we open up God's Word, I want to ask you to do a couple things. First, I want you to pray for Kenneth, who comes to bring God's Word to us today. He doesn't know you that well, and you guys don't know him that well. And so I think that's one of the hardest spaces to preach in, in a space that, that people don't know you yet, okay? But in as much as you know and trust me, I know and trust him, okay? I love this young man, and I see God's hand at work on his life. And I want to give you the greatest honor that I could give anyone. He resembles Jesus. When I've been around him, it's the highest honor that any person could be said about anyone else. When I'm in his presence, he resembles the kindness of God. Okay? And so I want you to listen to him and pray with me as we turn uh, to Ruth chapter 2. Pray with me now, and then we're going to read the passage. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Its authority is always true. You uh, reign above all things, and you come to us and speak through the words of men when we speak from your word, God. And so today, I pray that you'd empower and embolden Kenneth as he comes and speaks today. And I pray that our hearts would be open, that we'd be glad to receive the word from this young man who many of us maybe don't know yet. And I pray that we would be blessed by listening to you as we listen to him. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to read uh, this passage, Ruth chapter 2, uh, and you can read along with me on the screen. It's a long passage, so buckle up. Here we go. Before we get into it, you guys just recap. Lots of disasters happen for this family that's been sojourning in Moab. The husband and father has died, the two sons leaving three widows, and now two of the widows have come back to Bethlehem, and we pick up that story in chapter 2, Ruth and Naomi. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go out into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. And she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephath of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her some food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, He said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. They come in and fiddle with my bell. There we go. Thanks, everybody. All right, well, sometimes you pray as a preacher, like, God, help me be humble. And he answers it from time to time. So a lot of you don't know me, and something that you should know about me is that I get on a fitness kick once or twice a year. Normally, I decide I don't want to die early. So then I decide I'm going to do something, and then I quit after about a week. But a few years ago, one of my fitness kicks actually stuck, and I started to run. I used to run every day. I say used to because running is terrible. But I used to do it every single day. And in our neighborhood, there's a perfect one-mile loop. So I would run it, and I would go through a similar mental progression every time. That first quarter mile, I'm running, and I'm just like... 
My music's blaring. I see the birds. I see the trees. It's beautiful. I'm like, hey, this is awesome. I should run every day. Also, I'm fast. Like, this is crazy. What? The Olympics, Paris 2024, sign me up. I'm there. Like, this is it. Then I get to that quarter mile point, and I have, this, I have the same thought every time. You've already run a quarter mile, bro. You could turn around. It's a half mile. It's more than most people do in a day. You should turn around, but I normally push through that. Then I get halfway, and I always think, you have a couch and air conditioning. What are you doing? Like, and so at the very last quarter mile, something happens in our neighborhood, and, that I, and it's that I can see our house. I can see it. And all of a sudden, I'm out of breath. I'm gasping for air, and hope fills me, and it gives me the hope to just finish the run. Hope has the power to transform. It has the power to propel. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you've seen that Ruth and Naomi, Ruth, who is the daughter-in-law of Naomi, they've been, they were in famine and they traveled to Bethlehem in search of food. They're hungry. They don't really have a place to go. They're just trying to figure it out. They heard the Lord returned and they're hoping they can find his favor. They're in desperate need of hope. In the midst of our most desperate moments when everything seems bleak, when nothing seems like it's going the way you want it to, why should you turn to the Lord? Why should we have hope in the Lord? We hope in the Lord because he alone provides. So there's three things I want us to see in this passage this morning. And the first thing is we see God's provision in the midst of the famine. So Ruth and Naomi, they show up to Bethlehem without a plan. They're hungry. They're looking for food. And in almost a movie scene, in the very beginning of chapter 2, we get introduced to Boaz. Just says, verse 1, Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. I want to point something out before we really get to Boaz. He's referred to as, it says Naomi. Wait, just a second. Naomi had a relative, okay? So there's this, there's Naomi has a relative of her husband, a worthy man named Boaz. I want to point out that she's still called Naomi. Last week, we saw she tells everyone, call me Mara, call me bitter. Not pleasant. Naomi meant pleasant. Call me bitter. She's experienced the bitter hand of God. She says, God has taken everything from me, but God sees fit to call her pleasant again. Friends, I just want you to know that if your story's not over, well, your story is not over if you're here this morning. God doesn't accept her name change. He sees fit to provide for her. He doesn't abandon her. I want to encourage you, don't give in to bitterness in the midst of hardship. God provides for Naomi. And now the person who wrote the book of Ruth knows this, but we see God doesn't call her bitter. He calls her pleasant. So back to Boaz. Boaz is called a worthy man. He's a relative of Naomi. He was a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. He was a worthy man. Worthy man meant somebody who, um, it's a phrase that could refer to someone who was a man of valor or a man of wealth. The passage is telling us he's not your everyday run-of-the-mill Israelite. He's special. He's not Joe Israelite. He is Boaz, and he's an excellent man. He is a picture of godliness. So without knowledge of Boaz, Ruth, she says, I need to go find food. So she tells Naomi, I'm going to go glean. And she says, go. And she makes this, so she's fulfilling her crazy promise she made to Naomi in chapter 1. She makes a crazy promise. She says, I'm going to go where you go. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are my people. 
And so how is she going to provide for Naomi? Naomi's old. She most likely cannot go and do the hard work of gleaning. But Naomi, in the midst of hardship, she does one simple thing. She honors her promise. She honors her covenant to Naomi, and she does the next best thing. She is faithful in the moment. So no circumstance can diminish God's goodness to us. No circumstance ever stretches beyond his means. So Ruth and Naomi, they're desperate. They need provision. But we see throughout the whole passage God's providential hand, where he's orchestrating and leading and guiding and putting everything together. But I want you to know that God never removes the dignity of Ruth and Naomi. Sometimes we can be very quick in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship, to remove people's dignity. Hey, you're suffering. God's got a plan. And he does. That is true. But in the midst of suffering, God never calls suffering not suffering. And so we should be slow and patient in the midst of it, but still trusting that God is good. If you're in the midst of suffering and you're saying, why, God, what's going on? I want to encourage you, as Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Hear this from Charles Spurgeon, a person, he was, a, he was called the Prince of Preachers. Preached to thousands upon thousands in the 1800s, but he was racked with crippling depression and anxiety. He was a man who suffered greatly. And this is what he says about God's providence. He says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And we cannot trace his hand. We must trust his heart. So God provides in these verses when everything seems impossible. He provides in the first three verses, we see God's hand working and moving in these little bitty details. Ruth walks in what God has set up for her. In the past, God sets up something that's so crucial to this moment. He provides for them through the law. A lot of times we think the Old Testament law is just something we're trying not to, like Jesus fulfilled it, we don't have to worry about it. But in this moment, God provides for Ruth through the law. Look at Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. It says this, speaking of the harvest, it says, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, a sheaf is a stalk of grain, you do not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather your grapes to your vineyard, you shall not strip them afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So because they were slaves, they're called to provide. Because they were needy and God provided for them, the kindness God shows them, they're supposed to show to others who are in need. When God shows us kindness, we're meant to show it to others. So God provides through this moment. He provides. He says, hey, this is the one way that they can provide food for themselves. They can go in the field after all the grain, grapes, and goodies were picked and put away. Whatever was left behind, they could go get. And I don't know if you noticed, but it kept saying the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. Ruth is a widow and a foreigner. So on two accounts, she can fulfill the law. She can fulfill the law. She sets out to provide, to provide food for herself and Naomi the only way she can through essentially going and asking someone, can I f- do this? Can I fulfill the law? And you may think, well, of course they're going to say yes. But remember, this is the time of judges. 
Everybody do, everybody's doing whatever they want to do. So they could say no. Ruth could have been in physical harm. She could have been vulnerable. She was very vulnerable in this moment. So she needs favor. And so she shows up in this field. God's gone before her. She shows up in this field, and it says she happens to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. In Hebrew, it literally says it. She chanced upon a chance. What are the chances? It's a stroke of luck. How could this happen? How could this happen? It's almost, almost like God has a plan and he's orchestrating his plan. She shows up at the, let's just, I just want to point out a few details. She shows up at the beginning of the harvest time. So she shows up at the very beginning where there is food to gather following a famine. She ends up in the right field, not just the right field, the right part of the field that belongs to Boaz, who's a worthy man. So she comes into this field of man of substance, a man of character, a man who is good, who does not harm her and would not harm her. So also, let's just point out, Boaz doesn't die in the famine. He so easily could have, but God provides for them. God is not haphazard. He doesn't do things aimlessly. In his perfect character, he perfectly provides for Ruth at the perfect time out of his perfection. So we can trust in him. In chapter 1, Naomi says, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. In just the first few verses of chapter 2, we see that the hand of the Lord is richly providing and orchestrating all these little details for their good. When everything seems bleak, when everything seems hopeless, God never lacks provision for our greatest needs. There is no need that is too great for him to handle. He provided for them in the midst of the famine. Number two, we see that God provides for them through his favor. We see God's provision through his favor. So this is where the love story really takes off. This isn't Hallmark or Hollywood, even though Ruth does end up with the farmer guy, not the city guy. just want to point that out. Um, but it's a love story, not in the sense that we see this, you know, kismet, fate, romantic love, but we see, we do see that later, but in this passage, we see love of sacrifice, sacrificial love, where Boaz loves Ruth. Why? Because he's a worthy man, or to put it in Southern, he's a good man. Y'all know what I'm talking about, and I say Mr. Jones is a good man. You know what that means. You have a picture of that. That's who Boaz is. He greets his workers with a blessing, and they return a blessing to him. Boaz embodies what it means to be a godly man throughout the passage. Every person he interacts with, he treats them with kindness, dignity, and compassion. Every single person. If you would have squeezed Boaz, godly character would have oozed out. Daniel Block in his commentary on Ruth says this. It perfectly encapsulates who Boaz was. It says, from the first time Boaz opens his mouth until the last words he utters, his tone exudes compassion, grace, generosity. In the man who speaks to the Moabite field worker, biblical hesed, the steadfast loving kindness of the Lord, becomes flesh and dwells among humankind. So the boss shows up, he hears Ruth's story, and he doesn't tell her to leave. He doesn't tell her to leave. Why? Because he's good. He's going to provide for her. And I want to point out, Ruth is working very, very, very hard. Gleaning is hard work. Naomi is most likely too old to do it. That's why she stays back. And Ruth just goes hoping to find some food for them. 
Ruth works very hard. We see from our vantage point that God is providing and orchestrating and caring for them, but Ruth still has to step into what God has set up for her. We work out what God has worked in the world for us. We work hard. She's working from early in the morning to mealtime and then all the way to the end of the day. God's providence does not remove our responsibility to work. God works in the midst of our freedom, in the midst of our responsibility. I'm not gonna try to explain God's sovereignty and human free will. I'll let Nathan handle that next week. But in kindness and compassion, Ruth, I mean, Boaz upholds the law and provides for Ruth and Naomi. Even further, he goes to her. He says, you can stay in my field. Oh, and by the way, I've told my young men they're not going to touch you. They're not going to bother you. This may be the first ever recorded instance of a boss caring for the sexual and physical well-being of a vulnerable woman. Men, I just want to point out, godly men protect vulnerable women. In our world, women are far too often mistreated, abused, and used in ways that removes all of their dignity. We don't have time to unpack the damage that pornography has done and how sexual immorality is rampant in our world. But men, you have a responsibility to protect. And I want to just go ahead and encourage you to start at home with you. Put to death the sin that is in you. Put to death your sexual morality first as you protect those around you. So through Boaz, Ruth experiences the grace of God. She experiences the grace of God. So if you haven't picked up on it by now, Ruth is a Moabite. Seven times in the book of Ruth, she is referred to as the Moabite. Just quick Bible reading tip. If it repeats itself a lot, it's trying to tell you something. But passage or a book, it just keeps coming up. So she's a Moabite. Why is that a big deal? There was a divide between God's people and the Moabites. They were enemies of God's people. They were cursed by God. Deuteronomy 23, 3 through 6. I want you to hear this and feel it. I want you to feel it this morning. Because we, it's hard for us to understand the divide between God's people in the Moabites, but I want you to feel it in the passage. Deuteronomy 23, 3-6 says, No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. So no Ammonite or Moabite can be part of God's people. They cannot enter in with God's people. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter into the assembly of the Lord forever. So not their great, 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 great grandchildren. Actually, never mind, they're cursed forever. They're not allowed in. Because why? It says, verse 4, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. In verse 6, you shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. So Israel was not allowed to contribute to their peace or their prosperity. When we hear prosperity, it's not their riches, but are they going to flourish? Are they going to thrive in this world? Are they going to survive? So Moabites, they weren't allowed in God's people. They weren't allowed God's peace or God's prosperity. They were excluded from that. There's this huge divide 
between God's people and the Moabites. It seems impossible to be broken down. So Ruth asks Boaz. Boaz comes he tells, to say, I'm going to protect you. Stay in my field. Glean. And Boaz, I mean, Ruth throws herself down and says, why have I found favor in your eyes? And Boaz answers her because of the kindness that you treated Naomi with. Because of your kindness to Naomi, I've heard about it. I'm honoring you. God answers Naomi's prayer. Naomi, in her desperation in chapter 1, she is not, when we think of godly people, she is not what we would write out. She would not sing, great is thy faithfulness. She'd be saying, your faithfulness is not great. What is this? She prays in chapter 1 that God would bless her daughter-in-laws for the kindness they had showed her and they had shown their husbands. Their husbands who had passed away. She prays that Ruth's kindness would be rewarded. And Ruth's kindness is rewarded with what? The Lord's kindness through Boaz. So Boaz asks for a full reward on behalf of, of, of behalf of Ruth, an outcast, an enemy, an outsider, one who is excluded from experiencing God's presence, God's peace, and God's prosperity. But look at verse 12 with me. It says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz points out the reality of God's provision for her. This is an ancient image of a mother bird having her wings over her baby birds, her defenseless baby birds, saying, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you. Ruth is safe. She's in the care of the Lord. She's part of God's people. She's in his presence. Before this, she could not have experienced the presence, the peace, and the provision of God. But she's been brought in. She was separated from God, from his goodness, from his presence, but she's experienced God's grace through Boaz. Boaz says, hey, do you see the Lord has provided for her, for you? This may be the first time that Ruth actively understands God's favor to her. Hope has arrived. And friends, hope's arrived for us as well. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11, says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the hands by, made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Paul's writing, he's saying, Remember when you were separated from God's people as Gentiles, those who are not part of God's people. You did not have God's provision. You were separated from his commonwealth. There was no hope for you. But, verse 13, now in Christ you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Friends, in Christ he's torn down the barrier that separates us from him. And he brings us into his presence. Through the blood of Christ, we've been brought near to him. We can know him. We can experience him. He is our peace. I want to acknowledge this morning that however far you feel away from God, through Christ, he has brought you peace. He has broken down that wall. There's a way for you to come to him. I like to talk about the 1%. Because a lot of times in our lives, we 
typically think there's just a certain percentage of us that God can't do anything with. The most broken parts of you, the places you've messed up the most, we say there's too big of a barrier, there's nothing he can do about it. It seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Through Christ, we experience the full blessing of God and salvation. We have abundant favor with God forever. Number three, we see God's provision in the feast. Ruth gets to eat. I want that to sink in. She's been living in the midst of famine, traveling. She's worked all day. And at mealtime, Boaz invites her in to eat. Most Americans do not experience hunger on a daily basis, even though the statistics are kind of staggering, how many people are in need. And just an aside, God's blessed you to help provide for that need if you're not hungry. But for us, we don't get hungry that often to this degree. Normally for us, it's like we're a little late for lunch and the blood pressure's up and the blood sugar's down, right? And all you want to hear is someone say, welcome to Moe's. That's all you want in this world. But mealtime was a special time for Ruth. She gets to eat. But not only that. <laughs> it's so good. She gets to eat, but she gets included with the other Israelites. Do y'all see that? God has broken down the wall and Boaz invites her into God's provision in the midst of a feast. She's an outcast, an outsider, but she's invited in. Friends, she's invited in. And I want you to, I want you to see, I want you to see what Boaz does. He provides her what? He's already provided her water, provides her roasted grain. Where the Israelites failed in hospitality, I mean the Moabites failed in hospitality to the Israelites. This Israelite shows hospitality to a Moabite. He stepped in where Israel failed. Friends, Christ has stepped in where we failed. And he's perfectly obeyed every command for us. Ruth and Moabite did not deserve the favor of an Israelite, but Boaz freely and kindly showed her that favor. In Christ, we don't deserve his favor. But he freely and kindly stepped in for us. Where we have failed, Christ restores. Boaz treats Ruth as the Lord had treated his people with kindness. With kindness. Boaz sets up extra for her. We see God's grace in the abundance. So Boaz says, hey, you can glean behind the workers. Also, any extra that falls, that's yours too. And also he tells the workers, hey, go ahead and get some extra out to send home with her. He shows her so much kindness. Shows her so much kindness. Grace exceeds our expectations. In Christ, we have immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Friends, everything God has given you, including his kindness, is something to be stewarded. means cared for, used well. Everything belongs to him including his grace, including his kindness that he shows us. And we're accountable for how we use it, but we're called to show the kindness that God has shown us. We're called to give it to others. So Ruth shows up with an ephah of barley, which if you read it, you're like, 
what in the world is an ephah? That doesn't make any sense. It's about 22 liters or 30 to 50 pounds of something. I was trying to think of how to compare it. Imagine if I went to the store for my wife to get milk and I showed up with 22 liters of Dr. Pepper. She would be like, what did you do? She'd also be like, you're going back to the store, buddy, and you're going to take all that with you, right? So Ruth shows up with 22 liters of barley, and Naomi's like, where have you been? Like, what, what is this? Tell me. Like, seriously, who, what has happened? She's wowed. Where did all this come, come from? And Ruth starts to tell the story. Well, I was, you know, gleaning in this field, this guy named Boaz, and Naomi just starts to praise she says, may he be blessed to the Lord. So she blesses Boaz, and then she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's some debate. Is whose kindness is this verse referring to, the Lord's kindness or Boaz's kindness? I would just say, yes. Yes. <laughs> it's yes, both. Right? God shows Ruth his kindness. God shows Naomi his kindness through Boaz. So the Lord is shown. She praises the Lord. She praises the Lord. Friends, she goes from bitter to pleasant. She has a hardened heart that's softened, softened by the grace of God. Ian Duguid says this, The remedy for our hard and bitter hearts in the midst of our distress is to ponder God's awesome grace and covenant faithfulness. So Naomi says, Wait, you're gleaning in Boaz's care? He's one of our redeemers. We don't have enough time this morning to get into all of the intricate details of what redeemers were meant to do and this idea of a kinsman redeemer. There's actually just Boaz is kind of the example in the Old Testament. But a redeemer was obligated to care for those who were widowed and without provision through marriage, restoring the people and property that were lost from the family line. So if someone was bought into slavery or something happened to them, they were widowed, he had a responsibility to care for them. Or if the land was lost, he had a responsibility to keep it in the family. So God, he sustained the life of Boaz through the famine. This man who embodies the gospel. He embodies the love of God. The craziest thing about this, this whole book is there's no miracles in the book of Ruth. The Red Sea isn't parted. No one walks on water. No one's raised from the dead. But friends, the miracle is that God uses everyday, ordinary acts of our faithfulness to, to work in this world. So spoiler alert, Ruth is David's great-grandmother. So through Ruth, God provides a king for Israel. Through the line of that king in a little town called Bethlehem, there's a man born that they call Emmanuel, God with us. He's called Jesus. Why? Because he will save his peop the people from their sins. We're in great need of hope for the forgiveness of sin. Outside of God's providence, Boaz could have easily died. When you're reading the story, Right there, there is another redeemer, and we'll see that later. But if Ruth doesn't come across Boaz in this moment, let's say he had died, Ruth and Naomi are still in desperation. They're without hope. Friends, we have a redeemer who has defeated death. He is alive forevermore. Ephesians 1.7 says, 
in him, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Friends, our Redeemer will never die. He has richly provided the way into God's presence. He has provided for us out of his grace and his love. Through the blood of the cross, Jesus paid the price for us and he bought us and brought us to himself. In his providence, in God's gracious providence, he moves Ruth from famine to feast. And no matter where you are, if you're a believer in Christ or not, those parts of you who you're saying, God, I need you to forgive. I need you to restore. He moves us from death to life in Christ. He moves us from sin to righteousness in Christ. And we've been given the life of Christ forever. So what do we do with this? Two things. One, I want to just encourage you, be faithful. Be faithful. In our world, faithfulness has been greatly diminished. Fame has been elevated. Friends, be faithful. In this passage, we see God use faithful everyday moments. Moment by moment, ask the Lord, Lord, how can I be faithful? Number two, rest in the hope of the provision of God. Rest in the hope of Christ. Lamentations 3.22 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God in his kindness, he has not left us desperate, but he's provided us hope. Friends, trust in the hope of God because he has richly provided for us. Heavenly Father God, you're so good. Lord, thank you for your provision. Thank you for your grace and your love towards us. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you use everyday faithfulness to move, move your plan along and to save and to heal and to restore. Lord, I pray that as we respond to this passage and we think through the reality of your hope, Lord, I pray that you will grab us and bring us to the true understanding of who you are and that your glory will be seen. God, you're so good. You're so good. We don't deserve your love, but you've chosen to freely love us. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Probably sings in your holy and precious name. Amen.